Matthew, pray for me and then we're going to preach. Is that okay? I, I promise to offend you today. But I promise that you will not be any more offended than I already am with myself. Is that okay? And that the Lord will have mercy on us all because it's sinners that he instructs in his righteousness. And it's the wayward that he came for. It is not those that view themselves perfect. Right? If anything is perfect, if anything is excellent, praiseworthy, or good about you, it's because of the word's testimony in you. Pray, Matthew. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your, your name is above all names that you have given to us. In that, you have given us your character, your body of work. Lord, I thank you for your word that comes forth, that pierces our hearts and renews and transforms our mind, so that we can be made into your likeness and image, Jesus. Thank you for changing our lives, mighty God. And we bless you. Amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day, Mr. Fred. So this morning is June, June 17th, 2012. Our message this morning is called Impressive. It's just a title. You may not be impressed with the message. The word is impressive, though. Turn with me to Genesis. Does that surprise you? I haven't seen you in a while, Nick, but I'm sure that the last time you were here, I started in Genesis. You'll be in the 18th chapter of Genesis. Randy, you look like a rock star these days. I hope to be as handsome as you are in the next few years. Genesis 18, tell me when you're there. In Genesis 18, we find a chapter title above the 16th verse. Somebody read it out. Anybody who's got one. Abraham pleads for Sodom. If there has ever been a chapter title, a non-inspired title, something that an editor put in the text that should have been inspired for our day, this would be it. We live in a time period where good is called evil and evil is called good. This is simply the way that things go. If you love the Lord, but you are rigid in your ways, you can be disregarded. If you say you love the Lord, but you are completely flaccid in your stance for Him, oh, everyone loves you. They tune into your television programs and buy your books. Abraham pleaded for a whole city, a whole group of people that were going to hell and didn't know it. That heart should be the heart of the American pastor today. Not one that simply pats them on their back and says, be well, be well fed and be warm. Go on your way. In this chapter title, under the heading of Abraham pleads for Sodom, look at the 19th verse. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. During a man's plea for a nation that is on the right road but headed the wrong direction, they should be headed towards the kingdom of God and their backs are towards it and they're headed towards their own lust which always brings the judgment of God. During that heading, what we see is that God chose the father of the faithful for one reason. He chose him because he would direct his children. The qualifications for the greatest patriarch of Israel was that he would direct his children. Not be friends with his children. Not pat them on the back and tell them they're heroes. But direct them. 
Listen very carefully to the ways in which he says direct them. First, he says direct your children. Second, he says direct your household. Children are smarter than we give them credit for. You cannot simply tell a child, do as I say and not as I do. If your direction to your child does not match your direction in your household, then they will quickly sniff you out as a hypocrite. They will shame your name and the name of our Heavenly Father. The Proverbs teach this so clearly that it cannot be denied, so we simply do not preach on those Proverbs. He moves on to say, after him, direct his children and his household after him. You could read this as his progenitory, the people that come after him. This is not the intent in the Hebrew. He says, Abraham will direct not only his children, but his entire household in the manner he has been directed, the way that he is walking. After him means in the way that he is showing as an example. The father of the faithful did not fail to direct his children, did not fail to direct his household, and his direction was not mere words. It was the way that he himself was walking as their example. When we move to the next part of the verse, it says, keeping the way. In Hebrew, we do not believe God. We don't simply ascend to His creed. In Hebrew, we walk with God. And there is a way to be walked in. When the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into the Greek Septuagint, the phrase Enoch walked with God became Enoch pleased God. Because to please God and to walk with God were synonymous things. The way that you acted according to your faith was something that was pleasing to him, not simply what we believe. Abraham would direct his children, he would direct all of his household to follow God as he was following him in the way that he was following him. Today we typically say we raise someone in a Christian home if we taught them to acknowledge the Lord and brought them to church. That falls so painfully short of what the scripture actually is teaching. After him, he says, <clears throat> keeping the way. The last part is doing what is right. You cannot keep the way if we will not do what is right. This does not say believe what is right. It does not say give lip service to what is right. It does not say acknowledge what is right. It says doing what is right. The best lessons that any child could ever learn is to see their parents in the pinch of the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, we know the will that you have told us to do, and we cannot find the strength to do it. Nevertheless, your will be done. You're going to have to send me an angel. I am in profuse agony here because I know what you want me to do, and I am torn in every other direction. Help me, O oh God. This is how they learn. This is how they know what it is to do what is right. When we begin to apply this definition to our daily walk, we find out our homes were not as Christian as we had hoped they were. Boy, this is a dangerous message to preach on Father's Day because we live in a society that would rather get a trophy than actually win. In fact, we'll give everybody trophies just for showing up. You don't even have to play in the game. So we are satisfied when people tell us, hey, you're a good father, even if there is no evidence to show that we are good fathers. We are happy when people tell us, you're a victorious champion, a blessed Christian, even when there is no evidence. How much better would it be to feel heaven's approval 
Because you know that when crunched against the wall of your own flesh and the narrow way that God has called you down, you did what was right and your children saw it. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what our father Abraham is called into covenant with God for. Because he would allow his very flesh to be cut away that the heart of God and life of God might be revealed. Before we move too much further down that line, let me give you the history of our Father's Day. How many of you believe Father's Day goes back 200 years? Are you scared to speak or no one believes it? Natalie believes it. Who else does? No one? How about 100 years? Does We got a hand in the back. <laughs> I haven't heard that since I was in the Baptist church. Thank you for that hand in the back. Every eye closed and you don't know whether a hand really went up or not because you can't trust the man who was speaking. 50 years. 50 years. Y'all are all saying 50 years. So 50 years would be what year? Here's the history of Father's Day. Around the year 1910, a woman named Sonora Dawn heard a sermon. When she heard the sermon, it was about Mother's Day, which already existed. She began to think it's not fair that we have a Mother's Day and don't have a Father's Day. Her father, a Civil War veteran named William Jackson Smart, was a single parent who reared six children. After hearing that service, she told her pastor and all of the fathers present that there should be a similar day honoring them. She could find no traction for her idea. From 1910 to 1930, people in her hometown thought, okay, well maybe, you know, we'll throw a bone to make her happy. But in the 1930s, Dodd returned to Spokane. She had a new idea. She had enlisted the help of trade groups who would benefit the most from the holiday. For example, manufacturers of ties, tobacco pipes, and any other traditional gifts. In 1938, she helped the Father's Day Council, founded by New York Associated Menswear Retailers, to consolidate and systematize the commercial promotion. Why do we have a Father's Day? Because people wanted to sell you things. That's why we have a Father's Day. By the mid-1980s, the Father's Council that she founded wrote, Father's Day has become second only to Christmas for all the men's oriented gift industries. Why do we have a Father's Day? I thought this one was funny. In 1957, a Maine senator, Margaret Chase Smith, wrote a proposal accusing Congress of ignoring fathers for 40 years while honoring mothers, thus singling out just one of two parents. I mean, we live in an age of equality, you know. Don't want dad to feel left out. Get him a holiday so we can sell you stuff. In 1966, President Lyndon B. Johnson issued the first presidential proclamation honoring fathers. 1966. Designating the third Sunday in June Father's Day. It was six years later that the day was made a permanent national holiday by Richard Nixon in 1972. Another interesting thing about Father's Day, Fred, I don't know why I thought this would be funny. Maybe because you've been a father longer than a lot of the men in the room. One of the unique statistics about Father's Day, more phone calls are made in the United States on Mother's Day. But on Father's Day, more collect calls are made than any other day in the year. So everybody calls mom on their own dime, and there's a bunch of them that do it. The few people who call dad manage to do it. Collect. 
I'd like to remind you that last week when we were preaching about Stanley Albert Dale pulling arrows out of his body, ever moving forward with the call of God, some 60 arrows lying at his bloody feet to proclaim the gospel in Indonesia. We tried to lift up the idea that men who hold unswervingly to the truth, men who uh, work to achieve something for God, these are men who are worthy of honor. I contrasted it with a speech by an English professor in the northeastern part of the United States a couple weeks ago, entitled, You Are Not Special. I read you portions of that speech in which he said the problem with Americans today is that we value accolades more than achievements. I would like to ask, do we really just want another tie for Father's Day? Do we really just want some more pipe tobacco? I just want to see if you were awake. <laughs> or cigars. Or gift certificates. Do we just want more stuff that could be sold? There's one more thing that I wanted to read you and then I promise to only read to you from the Word. Y'all remember April, April 20th, 1999? Does that date strike a bell for anybody in here? 12 students were murdered. One teacher was murdered. 21 students were injured. It was at Columbine High School. Eric Harris and Dylan Kleibold entered the high school. It seems that they had some things in common. Let me list for you a few of the things that were in common. They were fascinated with a game called Doom. It's a first-person shooter game in which you descend into the levels of hell and kill everything that moves. Not just that game, but everything like it. In fact, some said that they retreated into a virtual world. In their virtual world, they were fascinated with hosting games. Did you know today a growing business for the Internet is for all of those uh, intergalactic Xbox assassins, people out there, to have highlight videos of their achievements? I, I never thought I would live to see such a pathetic thing happen. Where we have so replaced real achievement with something so virtual that we could actually celebrate nearly grown men who play video games well. These men were men like that. They also had a fascination with music. Everybody got mad at Marilyn Manson during this time. Marilyn Manson was light compared to a lot of the things that they liked. Suffice it to say, all of their music was dark. Sang about dark things. But, you know, we don't really listen to the lyrics. We were just, just listening to the music. They often got caught doing things wrong, both of them. They got caught breaking into a van. There's an actual letter of repentance that was written. Eric Harris is the one that wrote it. It's eloquent. It's beautiful. It expresses how sorry he was. Of course, he had to write it at the request of a judge. And later in his online blog, he remarked at how easy it was to deceive people. And they celebrated his deception. They both also liked to take Zoloft, the votes, the same psychologist who prescribed it to him later said it's true that it has an 8.4% chance of increasing violent tendencies. 
this is what we give children that are depressed. I fired over 150 shots into a high school. Over 150. From one gun alone came 99 bullets. They say it's the worst shooting massacre in any high school in the United States. We've had some college incidents that surpassed it, but these were high school age kids. When I was thinking about fathers, for some reason I remembered a man named Daryl Scott. His daughter Rachel was killed on this day. Everybody looks for somebody to blame, don't they? Immediately after the Columbine events, the climate was an anti-gun climate. I want you to hear what he said. Since the, and by the way, he's speaking to the U.S. Congress Judiciary Committee. Since the dawn of creation, there's been both good and evil in the hearts of men and women. We all contain the seeds of kindness and the seeds of violence. The death of my wonderful daughter, Rachel Joyce, God, and the death of that heroic teacher and the other 11 children who died must not be in vain. Their blood cries out for answers. The first recorded act of violence was when Cain slew his brother Abel out in a field. The villain was not the club that Cain used. Neither was it the NCA, the National Club Association. The true killer was Cain, and the reason, by the way, he's writing this less than 30 days after his daughter was murdered. The true killer was Cain, and the reason the murderer could only be found in Cain's heart. The reason could only be found in Cain's heart. In the days that followed Columbine tragedy, I was amazed to see how quickly fingers began to point to groups such as the NRA. I am not a member of the NRA. I am not a hunter. I do not even own a gun. And I'm not here to represent or defend the NRA because I don't believe that they're responsible for my daughter's death. Therefore, they don't need to be defended. If I had believed that they had done anything or had anything to do with Rachel's murder, I would be their strongest opposition. I'm here today to declare that Columbine was not just a tragedy. It was a spiritual event that should be forcing us to look at the real blame and where it lies. Much of the blame lies here in this room. He goes on to recite a poem about throwing God out of school. He goes on to blame stricter and stricter laws that had no power to change a man's heart. He goes on to say that their blood was crying out for a change of heart in our nation. You know, I found it amazing that as I did this research, the New York Times Magazine, another magazine called Mother Load, another one called Adventures in Parenting, another book called The Book, I'm sorry, called Columbine by David Cullen. All three of these things had something in common. When researching Eric Harris and Dylan Kleibold, they came to the conclusion that they had good parents. I'd like to remind you that these children were under the court-ordered treatment of a psychiatrist. I'd like to remind you that they had been in a juvenile detention center. They were released for good behavior early. I'd like to remind you that they were both considered gifted and talented from an academic standpoint. See, their parents apparently were content if their grades were decent. 
They were content if they complied reasonably to the request. I mean, after all, they're pretty good kids. Never mind the fact that they're obsessed with things that in any other generation, the weakest spiritually discerning person would call demonic. Never mind the fact that they pour into their lives daily. Never mind the fact that their blogs, if the parents even knew about them, threatened these things for months before they happened. But they were good parents. Happy Father's Day. You want another accolade? You want another trophy? Isn't that silence worth thinking about that's in this room? They all declare them good parents. I don't know the people, and I'm not here to say that they're not good parents. I'm here to say, when you see lemons on a tree, it's fair to assume it is a lemon tree. That's a fair thing to do. You know why we shy away from these kind of things? Because it's deeply convicted. We shy away from them because it means that our children are a reflection of us and what we put into them. We shy away from it because it squarely puts the responsibility on us to direct our children and our household. We shy away from it because they will follow in the manner they have seen us following. We shy away from it because we have not taught them to do what is right. We've taught them to simply agree that certain things are right in your presence. We've taught them to write letters of contrition when they're caught and then brag about deception later. Where do they learn such things? Could it be from their parents' terrible spiritual walk? What constitutes a good parent these days? So, well, I provided for you, didn't I? I went to work every day. Well, that's admirable. When compared against somebody who lets their children starve to death, you pass the test. Is this what God has called us to? To simply make sure our children don't starve. Now, I love my father. He was not a perfect man, but he is the first one that showed me a masculine kind of love. There was nothing weak about Gary Kinchin. There was nothing swerving about Gary Kinchin. In fact, when he was wrong, it was pretty clear he was wrong because he didn't whiffle waffle, especially not in his early years. The best gift that he ever gave me was that he was absolutely unswerving on what he thought was right, even when he was wrong. That meant that it was a standard that you could look at. You could hate the standard, but at least... There was a standard. Friends, if what we want most is to have our children adore us, if what we want most is to have their affection, how can we be that standard? I want to show you some things that are in the Word today, and then look at how our Heavenly Father deals with us. We might even get to redefine what a Christian home is here today. Are you all already upset with me? No. I'm upset with me. I am. I'm upset with me because in all of my ministry and all the things that I'm doing, I've, I've been to 16 or 17 countries this year. And there are times that what the Lord wants most of me is get out of bed and walk into my children's room and read them a Bible story. And it's just so easy to turn on Lion King or something and say go to bed. I'm upset with me. Your very first responsibility in life, period, are your own children. And you should never accept a pastor, ever, not in a million years, no matter what they say, what their excuses are, that does not manage his own household good. You know why? It's what the scripture says. But we like them as long as they speak well. I may not speak well today, 
but I will stand by what God is doing in my family. I'll stand by that. Flaws and all. Won't name them, but a lot of you are familiar with them. You've seen things that should not be in my children. But far be it from me if you see me fail to correct them. In fact, the biggest criticism that I've received the most consistently is that I'm too harsh. But again, I will stand by what you see in my children. I learned that from my heavenly father. He does not waver about what is right. Never. He is not like a shifting shadow. He, my friends, can be trusted. Turn with me to Isaiah 29. There. To be clear, as you feel those hairs standing on your neck, that strange sensation in your stomach, when a tragedy happens, everyone looks for someone to blame. I'm blaming pastors. I'm blaming parents. Pastors and parents exactly like me. That all too often claim that we have Abraham as our father, but we fail to do what he did. In Isaiah 29, here comes the 13th verse. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips. Sound like people we would like. But their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is only made up of rules taught by men. Have your children seen you wrestle with the word of God? struggle to figure out how it applies to you, or they simply see you nod, uh-huh, at a few doctrinal decrees? Have your children watched you struggle with all of your heart to figure out how a Christian applies a verse written 1,600 years before Jesus in your own life? Have you taught them to walk in the way that you walk, or are you satisfied with simply providing for them, hugging them occasionally, making sure that they feel loved? Because this is not what God called a man in this room to. He did not call you to simply hug them, make them feel loved and provided for them. A wet nurse could do that. He called men. Men who would do what is right when your life was on the line. He called men who would lay down their life for their children. He called men like Jesus. He called men like the apostles who didn't love their life so much as to shrink back from their responsibility. That's what he called. You want to celebrate something on Father's Day? We could celebrate lives like that. But I find it difficult to stomach everybody gets a tie. It's a little bit like Breck Leaf where everybody gets a trophy whether you played or not. It's not to beat up a father. If you're a man and you hear that God requires something of you, you ought to rise to that requirement instead of shirk away from it. We could just raise up teachers for ourselves that tickle our itching ears and tell us what we want. And God knows there are enough of them. We could celebrate mediocrity. We could declare everyone in this room a champion, whether you are or not. And some of you would love me for it. Which of the prophets ever did such a thing? Which of the prophets were celebrated by the people? They're celebrated afterwards because they were unswerving in what they knew was right. They were standards that you could measure your life by. And say so when they threw Jeremiah in a hole, he did not compromise his principle. When they sold Isaiah in two, he did not compromise his principle. Why do you love Paul if it's not that he was unyielding about what God called him to do? Would your children say those things about you? 
and I didn't come to church for this. <laughs> why does anybody in here go to a doctor? Tell me, why do you go to a doctor? Do you go to well when you go to get well when you feel great? I, maybe all of you do the well checkups. I've never done a well checkup in my life. I, I never go to the dentist just to chat. Never go and say, hey man, how you think I'm doing? Doesn't happen. I go when something's hurt, when something's broken. Why do you come to church? Well, we go to church to be encouraged. That is about one-fourth of what the scripture is for. It's for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. Anybody in here trained for anything? Fred, you were in the Navy, yes? Did they train you? Was it pleasant? Did you just love, I mean, right now, 80 years old, strong like Caleb, Caleb, ready to go back and do boot camp again, yes? No, probably would like not to have to do that. No training seems pleasant at the uh, present. It's discipline. But what it creates in us is a desire to rise to something more. We've settled. We've said, I have a confidence problem, Eric. I have an insecurity. You know how you get rid of those? When God causes you, helps you, empowers you to do something that He can praise you for. That'll make you feel better in a hurry. We cannot sit on our hands in our salvation, declare ourselves great fathers, while our children do not love the Lord. How many of them are we willing to let go? So, well, I got five children and two of them love the Lord. Were the other three expendable? How does that work? So everybody has a free will. Until you turn 18 in my house, I want you to understand you do not have a free will. You know why? Because God put me in charge in my house. It's a divine commandment that came right off of a mountain. Paul affirms it. And the second... Uh, in the 11th chapter of the book of Corinthians, he affirms it. He gives a divine order. It's not going to happen. He said, well, I have a strong stand in my house too, and when there's disobedience, people have left. It's not about throwing people out of your house, friends. What are they seeing while they're in your house? I love Jorge with all my heart. I'm so glad he's here on Father's Day. He's one of our new fathers. His baby will learn how to relate to Jesus based on how he relates to Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. Mm -hmm. That's how that works. And if we compromise, our kids learn that compromise is okay. If you're lucky enough in your own eyes to escape judgment while you compromise, then what they will learn from you is this is really not that serious. God won't do anything about it anyway. Of course, until he does. And then it might be too late. I do not want to honor God with my lips only, do you? No. Would you like to do better than that? Yes. I would like to do better than that. Since you're already in the Old Testament, turn to the book of Micah. I know all of you have this book memorized. It'd be easy for you to find it, you know. Jonah, Micah, Nahum. No, no problems there, huh? Because you read from Micah every day. Is there a person in here that Micah is your favorite book? Well, not one. How about that? How much do you love God's Word? If you get 18 years with your children... And you read to them regularly, let's just say a couple times a week. How many years would it take before you had read through the entire word with them? There's a Bible reading plan in the back of this church. You could accomplish it in one year in less than 15 minutes a day. How much do we love God's word? So, well, you know, it's kind of a personal thing. I pray with them sometimes when something's wrong. Or You want to be a good father? Your children are going to walk with God about as seriously as you do. 
I, I wish if I could do anything today, I could uproot the satanic idea that providing for your children and loving them is enough. I wish I could uproot that. If that were true, then Mormons would be great dads. Jehovah's Witness would be great dads. In fact, you could be a Taoist, a Buddhist, a Hindu. Be a great, great dad. Because you're provided for your children and you love them. Of course, your children would have only this life to hope in. God expects more. He does. He expects more. And you know what? You only have so many years to do it. You ever tried to correct somebody that is 16? They've never been corrected before? You ever tried? I'm a pastor. I get that problem a lot. How hard is it to turn around that train that's been headed the wrong way all of those years? Whose job was it? So, uh, is this about assigning blame? It's about taking responsibility today. I can't do anything about yesterday. I can do something about right now. Are you all in the book of Micah? Yes. In the second chapter of the book of Micah, look at verse 6 so that we can move on and save my life here. I'm not satisfied with lip service, friends. I believe we live in a day of lip service gospel. I think it's why we go to church and get nothing out of it except a warm, fuzzy feeling. No change, no demonstrated walk, no power of God, only a form of godliness. There was a day in which Micah prophesied, and in the sixth verse he says, Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Or as one lady told me standing in this church, don't speak that over me. That's not a blessing. <laughs> yes, yes, speak to me good words. Why, do your ears itch? Speak to me good words and good words only. Don't you speak that over me. Am I speaking it over her or is her life causing it to come about? I wish I had the power like God to simply speak into existence something, but I don't. I can encourage it. I can tell you what God has decreed. I can tell you that your tongue holds the power of life and death and it's going to raise one kind of fruit or another and that's the fruit you'll have to eat. But you know what I cannot do? I cannot call you a champion and make it so, nor can I call you a villain and make it so. Your own life will do that. And it will prove me either a liar or a prophet. That's what it does. It's hard to fill football stadiums with preaching like that, though. Of course, Jesus didn't seem all that interested in filling football stadiums. Every time he got a sizable crowd, he seemed to run them off, didn't he? Every time. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should it be said, O house of Jacob, is the Spirit of the Lord angry? Does he do such things? Does God get angry? What a stupid question. <laughs> What a ridiculous question. Does God get angry? He gets angry enough that he wiped away the known world and saved eight in a boat. We put a rainbow on our children's walls and we tell them, that's, that's the sign of the covenant. We tell them, all the animals went in the boat. You know what we don't tell them? How many million people died in agony because God is righteous and he will not bend his word. We don't tell them that they probably scratched at the side of the boat. We don't tell them, as Brent said in the truck on the way to Mexico, God put him in the boat seven days before it began to rain because he knew when the rain started to fall, the people would change their minds. Wow. We don't tell them that part, do we? Because they're kids. 
we tell them only the parts of the scripture that we like. And we don't tell them the parts that we dislike. And they only see us do the things that we like to do and not the things that we dislike doing. Well, they'll grow up to be just like us, won't they? But we're all champions. All wonderful. I mean, I have a coffee mug that says world's best dad. That makes it so, doesn't it? <laughs> Never mind Raja Israel who sells all of his belongings to help fund his son's ministry. Amen. Never mind those who are taking beatings for their children. Never mind those who have been in prison for years but would not deny that I'm, I'm the world's best dad, Charlie, because I'm American. <laughs> Do you hear how foolish this sounds from a heavenly perspective? But we love the accolade. We love it. I even have a shirt that says it. We love it. We know it's silly, but we would rather have silliness than truth. We know it's silly, but we would rather have silliness than truth. And our teenagers would rather have the rush of killing somebody on Xbox than standing for God. They would rather have a false sense of a sex life and pornography. They would rather have a false sense of achievement in their video game world. And where did they learn something like that? Reality is the book that's in your laps. How much time have you spent in it? Eric, I could never read and it'd be enough. Well, I bet if you read to your children every day, you wouldn't need to correct the rest of the world for your children's behavior. Isn't that a funny thing these days? People that will not correct their children will correct everyone who tries to correct their children. Yeah. Those bad, bad people. Except it happens in our children's church almost every Sunday. You know what we could do? We could get beepers. If we have a problem, we could just put a number on the screen. You could give your kid a treat for misbehaving to calm them down, and then y'all simply leave the service, right? Wouldn't that solve everything? Well, it makes it easier on the rest of us, but what does it teach your child? I've got to go to church if I don't want to. And if I'm bad enough, I can make even mom and dad swerve out of the right way. You know what happened to me outside of a Lutheran church? Mom, I know you know. <laughs> they told my father that I had said something inappropriate to a man at a retreat. Maybe more than one inappropriate thing and to more than one man. <laughs> when he found out, he grabbed me by the neck on the second row and drug me to the parking lot so that he could lay hands on me <laughs> swiftly and repeatedly. I was embarrassed, and these days, discipline is a private thing. Dear God, don't discipline one child in front of anybody else because we are just too soft for that. God disciplines in front of the whole world. Hmm. Then he drove me by the same hand and same neck back to the second row and sat me down for the rest of the sermon. So, but what about his self-esteem? You know what I knew? If I misbehave there, my father will make me wish I hadn't. That's a valuable lesson. I still think about it sometimes. I still think about the cost of not doing God's will. Mm. I still think about that lesson my Heavenly Father taught. Today, that's cruel. It'll soon be illegal. Mm. Should it be said, O house of Jacob, is the Spirit of the Lord angry? Does He do such things? Do not my words do good? <laughs> Speak to me good things. God's Word is for our good. Never mind repent. Never mind judgment. Never mind the consequence of sin. God's word is for our good. Gosh, 
start it, Cass. I wish it was Friday. Every day can be Friday. Why don't we build a Disneyland for Christians and all go there then? A little fairy tale world. A virtual world, Charlie. Maybe that's where our children are getting these sad ideas. So we don't know why they cut themselves. We don't know why they seem to have no moral center. We don't know why they have no work ethic. We don't know why they do these things. By the way, do you know what the conclusion of each of those periodicals that I read were? Psychopaths just happen. They just happen. You know, like how the earth got here. It just happened. There's no creator. It just simply kind of evolves out of a primordial soup that no one is responsible for. Because we can't have accountability. That would make us feel bad, you know? We don't want that. No. When I look around the room, I know that not everybody had godly parents. Doesn't the word say in Psalm 68 that he's a father to the fatherless? Amen. If those on earth fail to provide for you the standard that should teach you, oh, the Heavenly Father will step in. But it's not without consequence, is it? No. It's not without hurt. It's not without all of those things. But God will not be handicapped simply because He called men and pansies or what arose. He won't be handicapped from that. I wish that the men of God would rise up. I wish that men would take their responsibility so seriously that they would risk offending their entire family for the sake of God's will. I wish that they were so zealous for God's will that if nobody stood with them, they would stand because that is God. I think what you would see is initial resistance followed by admiration, followed by imitation. But that's just me. I don't know much. Do not... My words do good to him whose ways are upright. Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who are passing by without a care. Like men returning from battle, you drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. What are you supposed to impart to your children? It's a blessing. That is not the blessing of a financially secure future. Sorry, CPA dads. The blessing you're supposed to give them is to teach them an unswerving walk with God. An amazing, powerful, dynamite, miraculous, supernatural walk with God. That's the blessing that they're supposed to receive. How are we doing with that? Did they learn compromise? Or did they learn? Elijah's call. Choose this day. If Baal's God, go serve him. If God is God, then stand and fire will fall. What are they learning? Because they're learning something. The word father has to do with originating something or it has to do with imparting something. You're going to originate a thought in your children. You're going to impart something by your action or inaction. The proof of that is people that never knew their father at some point in their life, go and look for him. You impart something by your presence or your absence, Period. Turn with me to Malachi. I want to show you the sign of something. Actually, one more verse in Micah. Is that okay? Yes. Good, because I was going to do it anyway. Here comes verse 10. 
Get up, go away, for this is not your resting place because it's defiled. It is ruined beyond all remedy. If a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, he would be just the prophet for this people. What's he saying? You want people who are just like you, self-deluded. People who do not see clearly. People whose judgment is warped. You want to raise up for yourselves teachers that have the same warped view that you have. Listen to God's answer in verse 12. I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like flock in a pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before the Lord at their head. God said that he would send somebody who would break open a way, somebody to prepare the way. Friends, that was John the Baptist, and his message was it a kind one. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, brood of vipers? Was it a kind one? God could raise up from uh, these stones, children of Abraham. Was that a kind one? Was it a self-esteem building message? What did the people think? They thought they were pretty good just as they were. They were offended by the message, repent. They were offended at the idea that their actions did not match their deeds. So God said, I will send somebody who will break open a way for you to walk. He will show you the error of your ways. And then I will send the king. And he will show you how to walk right in that opening in the way. He will be at your head. In other words, I will show you how to turn around and I will empower you to do it. Is that mercy? Of course it's mercy. You'll be a good dad. There's only one way to do it. You have to be filled to the brim with the Spirit of God. You have to love His Word more than you love your life. You have to embrace His will more than your desire to please anybody. First of all, your own children. We don't hear that enough, though, do we? And boy, the cost is high. You end up with children that you have a hard time being proud of and quote scriptures like, well, we started them in the right way. We'll know they'll return to it. Of course, that's not what the Scripture says. Boy, this pastor is pious. His kids must be doing well. No, I beat them on a regular basis. I do. They say things I wish they wouldn't say. But I also am proud of them because I watch them learn what it is to repent. I watch them strive after the Lord. I've seen them when the guns come out. And you know what? They don't shove their head between their legs. They pray. Where did they learn that? I'm not patting myself on the back. Anything that I've learned, I've learned from my Heavenly Father. And I certainly don't get it right. The most discouraging thing about parenting is that when you look at your children, it's like looking in a mirror. Bill Gabriel doesn't have a single flaw that he did not get from me. Yeah. Judah doesn't have a single flaw that he didn't get from me. It brings you to tears when you think about it. They're imitating you. And if you don't like what you see, what does that mean? You know what we like to do, though? We like to just pick on somebody else's kid. It makes us feel better about ours. I'm sure God will be impressed with that. Somebody would call them back to more than lip service. The Lord would demonstrate it or empower them. There would be more than false accolades. He would give them the opportunity for genuine achievement. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. I know your butt clock says we're creeping up on 12 o'clock and we're going to have to go. Yeah. <laughs> what is it worth to learn to get it right? Everything. If you had to go to 
a defensive driving class because you weren't driving well. How long would that defensive driving class last? I made Brandon take one of my classes for me. He impersonated me online. I repent. If you get too many speeding tickets, you have to go to a class that is six to eight hours long. But our walk with God can hit ditch after ditch after ditch. Be too fast, too slow. Be actually in the wrong gear, going the wrong direction. And we still want a 30-minute sermon. That's what we want. Because we have the trophy, you know. We have the accolade. We're sure of it. We have the bumper sticker and the t-shirt. Deuteronomy 6, look at verse 1. These are the commandments, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you. God gave them words, living words. They're called Devarim. The living words of God. Because He wanted it to not only change their life, but their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren's lives. God did not save you simply for you. He gave you work to do. Chief among those works is teaching your own children. Chief among them. So he's going to tell us how to do it. Look at verse 6. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Tell me what part of the day God says you are exempt from sharing the Word of God with your own children. I can find no exemption in there. It looks like when we lie down, when we get up, when we walk, when we do anything... We are supposed to not be impressing upon them the value of provision, the value of feeling loved. Your job is to impress upon them the Word of God. That's our job. How are we doing with that? Say, so, well, I impress it in my own way. I anticipated that. <laughs> impress is a verb in Hebrew. Sanan. I'm going to read to you just... I mean, literally what the complete word study dictionary says. This way there's no error in this. Adverb meaning to sharpen. This word is used in three basic stems. In its simple meaning of sharpen, it can be used to refer to the sharpening of a sword. <coughs> iron sharpening iron, friends. Anybody remember that one? Mm -hmm. Proverbs 27, 17. How does iron sharpen iron? Well, it has to collide. And when it collides, something's knocked off of the weaker metal. Who should have weaker metal, your son or you? Come on, man. You don't have the metal you should have if your son is shaping you and you're not shaping him. To sharpen, it says. He goes on in this. The last description that he says is to take an iron tool to a stone to engrave upon it words. This is the word. Impress. And we start with stony hearts. Ezekiel 36 says this. And God is trying to engrave upon our hearts His Word. And when He's made your heart new, He's given you a heart of flesh that is pliable, that has His Word in it. He wants you to go and do the same thing 
to the next generation. Maybe that is the problem. Now that I think about it, maybe we never had it engraved on our hearts so that we could engrave it on somebody else's. Maybe we settled for a decision at an altar. Maybe we settled for a blessing. Of course, the blessing is really when you can look and see four or five generations of righteousness. That would be a blessing. Impress, talk, walk, lie down, get up, tie them, bind them, write them. How would you describe your walk with God this week? Impressing the Word, talking about the Word, walking in the Word, lying down with the Word, getting up with the Word, tying the Word, binding the Word, writing the Word? How many of us meet that ideal? I'm telling you, this pastor's falling short. By the way, lie down and get up with the Word. Lie down and get up. There are times you have to go to sleep having spoken the word and know we're going to rest in the word. Doesn't matter whether they like it, doesn't matter whether I like it, we are going to rest in the word. There are other times you have to rise to your feet with the word and go to work. It's up to you to decide that it's led by the Holy Ghost, but I got a feeling there's a whole lot more lying down than getting up. I got a feeling that we've settled for something that is completely passive when God called us to be men of action. When he called us to be like his son. How about our familiar passage of Scripture? For God so loved the world that what? He gave His only Son. He loved the world enough to do something about its condition. Now when His Son shows up, John 3.17 teaches us. The verdict is already here. Men are condemned. Their hearts are stony. But the first chapter of John tells us that when we believe on Him, we have the right to become His sons. What does it mean to believe on Him? You have to walk with Him. You have to have a heart change that shows up in your actual actions. You tell me you believe Jesus is the Son of God. He was raised on the third day and you were baptized and you got your USDA stamp as a Christian at an altar by some pastor and I'm going to tell you, good for you. With that and a cup of coffee, you'll be warm on your way to hell. Demons believe all of those things. There's not a devil in the world that does not know Jesus is Lord and He was raised from the dead and doesn't believe that it's true. What does that do for them? You know you've been saved when there's a regenerative work in your life, a removal of the burden of sin, a desire for righteousness and power over sin so that you're no longer a slave. You're a son. That's when you know. You know when fruit begins to bear itself so that you can put your heart at rest in His presence, as 1 John says, because you're walking in His commands. Or we could just have a tie. We could have a coffee mug and a t-shirt. I'd feel a whole lot better about my life if when I left this world, and none of us know when that will be. I didn't have a coffee cup that said the world's best dad, or another tie or set of suspenders. What I had was a living legacy written on their hearts. That they'd be the kind of men who would be burned at the stake rather than deny the Lord. They would never settle for something as mediocre as a middle class life in America claiming wealth as blessing. They had an undying passion for the lost. I'd be satisfied with children like that. The breaker. The breaker that he sends before was John the Baptist. In Luke 1, 16, he actually refers to him as turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. This was a quote from Malachi, the fourth chapter. The sign that God was turning around a nation was the fathers and their children would begin to respond to each other differently. 
There would no longer just be hostility. There would no longer just be sin. The fathers would turn to the Lord and so the children would turn to the Lord and this would be a sign. That's what John the Baptist came to do. It's what Malachi said a prophet like Elijah would do before the coming of the Lord. You know what precedes the empowerment of God? The rebuke of God. And how good would Father's Day be if we had already repented? How good would Father's Day be if we didn't need a movie and some new creed hanging on our wall to inspire us if we had been reading the Word and it did it? I love the movie. I showed it to everybody in the church who would watch it. I loved Courageous. If you need a decree hanging on your wall, something's wrong. Because you have a book that is the decree of God in your hands. And you've had it before the movie ever came out. Why do we need to see a movie to tell us what the book already says? Hmm. There's a book about courageous. Isn't that funny? Nobody knows that. Aside from the Bible, there is a book about courageous. In the first chapter, you know what he says? I've not proclaimed a single new thing to parents. I've told them what is already required of them. But we celebrate it because it's a new fad. Of course, it'll go away. And we'll look for another movie. I want so badly to see godly offspring. You know, life will give you some difficulties. It will beat you into a place sometimes that you feel like you have no hope. Of course, we preached just a few weeks ago. It's the weaklings who are strong in his presence. Hmm. If you, like me, can acknowledge that you've had some pretty serious failures, that you didn't consider the Word of God worthy, instead, you bowed to the altar of entertainment and other things. If you can do something like that, you know what you can make room for in your heart? Jesus to empower you to do it differently. But if you love it, and you're sitting in this sermon in this church justifying your life as it exists now, you know what awaits you? An expectation of a fiery judgment. Whether you deny it or not, it's coming. We started this message with Abraham pleading with Sodom. It didn't matter whether Sodom thought it was coming or not, did it? They could invoke upon themselves a blessing. It's a blessing. They could do that. It wouldn't stop the fire from falling. It wouldn't. Our nation has declared on our money, which is our real God, God bless America. But that does not make it true. I have just a couple more scriptures for you, and you'll probably be glad at that. Turn with me to John. The first chapter. In the first chapter, here comes the 18th verse. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. What an amazing thing. Jesus had no children. Jesus had no wife. The Da Vinci Code lied. Dan Brown is writing work that's inspired by the devil, even if you find it entertaining. He had no family other than brothers, sisters, and a father. He did not have a wife, did not have children, and the scripture declares it. So how on earth is he an example of a father? <clears throat> because he came to make known the father. He is, according to Hebrews, the first chapter and the third verse, the exact representation of his being. You want to know what a good father looks like? He looks exactly like Jesus. By the way, when we use the word Christian, what are we saying? We are like Christ. If Christ is like the Father, if He's the exact representation and you are like Christ, what are you? 
This is why the scripture boldly declares in the seventh chapter of Matthew in the 21st verse, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter my kingdom, but only he who does the will of my Father. We've reduced that to simply believing and praying a prayer with no change. Is that where the Father left it? Did he simply believe in you and leave the world to itself? The agnostics <laughs> believe that. The deists believe that. Of course, it's not scriptural. He acted. He acted on it. To do the will of the Father means that you do what the Father says. This is what declares you a Christian. It's what makes you a good father. You want to celebrate fathers on Father's Day? Let's not do it because we were jealous of Mother's Day. Let's not do it because the American God of Mammon simply wants you to spend more money for another holiday. You want to celebrate fathers? Let's do it because some have stood the test and under an enormous weight to conform to the image of this world were transformed by the renewing of their mind and they raised up others just like them. True sons of God who would not bow a knee but instead said no to this world considering it an enemy of God and themselves slaves to righteous celebrating my father. That would be worse. I wonder how many sermons today will be preached say, you fathers are all wonderful fathers, you know. <laughs> the preaching is as limp as the wrist who's giving it. You know who was not like that? Not at all. None of the prophets. The Son of God, he was not like that. If he was anything, he was a man. He said, the prince of this world is coming for me. But he has no hold on me. The world is going to learn. I love the Father. And I do exactly what He's commanded me. This is what your children should learn from you. The prince of this world is coming for us, family. The cartel is on the other side of the border, family. We have no more money, but it's worth doing, family. Because everybody's going to learn that we love the Lord. Amen. And we do exactly what He's told us. Amen. Or we could just teach that what he wants is us comfortable, rich, and happy. Of course, nobody gets really saved like that. They get blessed. But they don't get saved. And is that a blessing? Hmm. Turn with me to Matthew 5. You know, 2,619 times in the Bible the word God is used. In American society, we hear it all the time. 2,619 times in the Bible the word God is used. In American society, we could say, God bless America. We could say, in God we trust. We could also say, I stepped in God. God, God. God is one of those generic words. In fact, when I'm in India, they talk about God. When I'm in Sri Lanka, they talk about God. When I was in Africa, they talk about God, but we might be talking about different gods. Of course, when you begin to qualify, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who inspired a walk that looks like that, then suddenly we start to narrow it down, don't we? But when Jesus really wanted to narrow it down, he used the word Father. Nine times in the Older Testament, the word Father is used, and of those nine, seven are the Spirit of Jesus prophesying about the future. 255 times in the Newer Testament, the word Father is applied to God. This is because in Jesus we see what a father is like. In Jesus we see how we are supposed to walk and act and live and breathe and move. 
in Jesus, we see the nature of God on display. And that is manly fatherhood. Which time did he, for his own comfort, not do something for the other people's benefit? Which time did he back away from the Father's will for fear of the cost to him personally? Which time did he compromise? Which time did he place someone's feelings over the truth? Did you, have you ever read what he said to the Syrophoenician woman? The bread's not for dogs. Can you imagine saying that to a world you came to say? Hmm? How about the rich young ruler? Go do what I've told you, then you can follow me. Mark says he looked at him and loved him. How could that be? How can you look at somebody, love them, and say something so harsh? Because that's what daddies do. They're like sharp tools put up next to stone. And God is hammering His Word into a heart. And then a miracle happens that could never be by the Father's effort. The heart is reborn and it becomes a heart of flesh that delights in the Lord is committed to the Lord, is trusted in the Lord. That's what happens. We delay the process when we won't do the work of God. What if Moses wouldn't go to the mountain? What if Jesus wouldn't go to the people? Are you in Matthew 5? Yes. yes. In Matthew 5, look at the 14th verse. You are the light of the world. The city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise the Holy Mother of Heaven. No. Yeah. Queen Mary. No. Mm-hmm. Who do they praise? Father and Father. Because they recognize He must have imparted something to you. In Hebrew, if you are a son, you are a bar. You cannot be a bar in Hebrew unless you are like your father. So, boy, that's his father's son. What does that mean? That's his father's son. What that means is he's acting exactly like his dad. What message does our life say then about that? What does your message say about your dad? Your life, what does it say? By my If you shine his light, you know what it says? He did his work well. I had a stony heart, but now his words are engraved on it. It's a heart of flesh. People are going to see in you something. None of us are as unique as we think. If David McCullough is right on a planet of seven billion people, if all of you were one in a million, that means that there's 6,800 others that are exactly like you. We're so convinced that we're unique, but God gave the same command to all of us. Impress these on your kids. Talk about it when you walk along the road. Bind them to yourselves. Write them. Do it when you lay down, when you get up. You want to celebrate something on Father's Day? Celebrate that. James 16 teaches us that, I'm sorry, the first chapter of James, 16th verse, teaches us that every good and perfect gift is from above, is flowing down from the Father of heavenly lights. This is so true in the scripture that if anything good exists in your life, it came from one place. It flowed from the Father. The scripture never teaches parents. There's no command in the scripture that says, parents, go love your children. 
I know it seems like there shouldn't be. It simply doesn't exist. You're told not to exasperate your children. But you're not commanded to love your children. Children are commanded to love their parents, to honor them and love them. How strange is that? The Bible assumes a direction like gravity. It assumes that love is flowing down from the Father into the earthly parents and down to the children. But did you naturally love God? No, you loved because He first loved you. We learn to reciprocate what we're receiving from above. Did you hear that? There's a direction. It's the gravity of love. And we reciprocate what we are receiving from our Father. So when you are receiving His love, you learn to give it back to Him. We love because He first loved us. While we were still sinners, He died for us. He didn't wait on us. He started the process, and now it's up to us to respond. The same is true with our children. They're commanded to honor us because they have to be taught to reciprocate. And they are going to reciprocate. The question is, what are you passing down to them? An intense love for the Word or an intense love for the world. They might be better at discerning than you think. One of the most heartbreaking things that I have to do with the men in the church occasionally is we have to stop and go, hey, our kids are imitating us. And when I see them and hear them say things that we say and do things that we do as led by me, I'm the chief among those getting this wrong. I feel like it's sin in them. I said, but we're so mature, right? It's okay, it's our freedom. Just a mirror, friends. They're reciprocating what we're giving them. Yeah. I want to celebrate on a Father's Day. Here's how we celebrate on a Father's Day. Turn with me to the book of 1 John. Hey, are you still in Matthew or did you already get to 1 John? There first John. Okay, y'all get to 1 John. I'm going to read you Matthew 7, 24 because I can. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. Putting the words into practice gives you the opportunity to know you're planted on the rock. Not believing them, putting them into practice. When Abraham in Genesis 18, 19 directed his family after him, when he directed his children, when he uh, did each of those things, it says so that he will inherit the promise. That's the end of the verse. You want the promises of the Bible regarding your children? Put the words of God into practice. Now go to 1 John, or I have to get there. In 1 John... We'll be in the third chapter. We're going to close here in just a second. We'll go baptize anybody who wants to be baptized. Third chapter of 1 John. Look at verse 18. Dear children, let us love, not let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Actions and truth. Does that describe your walk with God? Actions and truth? Or do you simply believe the truth? He said, let us love with actions and truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because... We have believed His commands. Yeah, you should all be objective in the worst way. It says because we have obeyed His commands. What a minor difference, except 
It's an eternal difference. Do you really think that the devil doesn't believe something when God says it? Do you really think that? Do you really think that the devil doesn't believe God's word is true? I'm sure he believes it. He quotes it. He quotes it better than most Christians. Demons shudder at his name, the book of James says. The difference between those who are blessed by God is not those who hear or believe the word, it's those who put it into practice, which is real biblical belief. Because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Friends, I hope to preach a message today that we called impressive. I hoped to lay out two things. The disparity between what is called blessed and the reality of what is actually blessed. It's Father's Day. God has put you in His hand as a stone chisel to impress upon your family the Word of God. Now the world will look at you and say that's oppressing them. God did not call you to oppress anybody. He didn't call you to exasperate them. He didn't call you to beat them. He did call you to be an unwavering standard in your home. He called you to speak. You are the pastor of your home, the prophet of your home, the priest of your home. He called you, not me, you, to speak over your families. He said do it when you're walking. Do it when you're lying. Do it when you're going in and coming out. Do it whether you're at a city or at the house. Do it all of the time. You know, have a mug that says world's best father. Have a shirt that says world's greatest dad. Get another tie. How about having the achievement of knowing that your children have the word impressed upon them? That's the legacy that you want. That's the legacy that I pray that you have. I want to tell you in closing, this is my little bitty sandwich, Matthew. I watched some of your lives come into this church in complete wreck. But you stuck it out. When it cost you jobs, you stuck it out. When it commanded you to move, you stuck it out. When your children rebelled against it and your wife thought you were crazy, you stuck it out. And there are men in this, fam in this family of believers, <coughs> men and women, that now serve God in a way that shames their former life and glorifies this new life in God. And it shows up most in their children. Amen, Mario? Amen. That is the life-changing power of God. And it will reap an eternal benefit. Or you can settle for a mug. That's up to you. Now stand to your feet.